Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, my reporting from Puerto Rico on how the island's newest business initiative might not only help them get out of financial crisis, but could impact all of us. Before we dive into the topic of this week's cover story on full measure, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things. First of all, the discussion about natural immunity after COVID infection. I've been writing about this for a couple of months, primarily the notion that Weirdly, public health officials and federal agencies seem to be ignoring natural immunity as a factor in getting back to normal after the COVID pandemic and shutdowns. As I've been pointing out, and you can find the list of studies in the article on the homepage at CherylAckeson.com, natural immunity is proving in study after study after study to be more robust and longer lasting than the COVID vaccines which, as you know, are now being recommended to have boosters added to them because they are not lasting as long or working as well as many people hope. If you've paid attention, you've seen this sort of sliding scale explanation of what the vaccines were supposed to do. And it's not easy just to do a search online and find the early references. I had to do it using time and date parameters. But basically, prior to the vaccines first being released, It was said that they would, as most people expected them to do, prevent infection. And then when it turned out pretty quickly that they don't prevent infection, it changed to this notion of, well, it would prevent the spread of the disease. And then when it turned out they don't prevent the spread of the disease, as CDC has acknowledged, people who are vaccinated uh, have as heavy or about as heavy of a viral load, as they say, as people who haven't been vaccinated. When that turned out to be the case, They started saying things such as, well, almost 100% of the people in the hospital are people who are not vaccinated. So the vaccine is 100% effective at preventing serious illness. And then when that turned out not to be the case, with many, many people who are vaccinated getting ill, many turning up thousands in the hospital and even dying, then the storyline became, well, we never thought it would prevent infection and we never thought it would prevent spread and we never said that it would prevent serious illness. We just said the illnesses are less serious than they would be if you didn't have the vaccine. And of course, you're a logical thinker. You know there's no way to know that for an individual person. If someone who's been vaccinated gets COVID and doesn't get very sick, then they are like most people who get COVID and are unvaccinated. CDC says most COVID infections, period, are not very serious. In fact, most are asymptomatic or only have mild symptoms. So if you are vaccinated and you get a mild case, despite many people insisting, well, gosh, the vaccine prevented me from getting sicker, there's certainly no evidence that that's the case for any individual person. Now, as I always say, this is 
not to recommend any individual course of action for a person. I'm a big believer in, since the government has given so much misinformation and disinformation, I'm a big believer in doing a lot of your own reading and research and consulting with the doctors who know you best and then making up your own mind as to what you should do. This is not anti-vaccine. This is not pro-vaccine. This is not advocating for anything except full information being provided to people in uncertain circumstances so that they can try to make the best decisions. Well, a bit of good news, a lot more people have started talking about the natural immunity factor. Because if natural immunity, if all of these studies, the ones I've listed on my website are correct, and natural immunity is proving to be better and more robust than the vaccine-induced immunity, then we're getting to be in a pretty good position in this country because so many people have been exposed. This is not to suggest that people should go out and try to get COVID, but the fact is, according to CDC, over three months ago, more than 120 million Americans had been exposed to COVID, had survived, and therefore, according to these studies, have a really good chance at lasting immunity that works very well against the variants, unlike the vaccines. For some strange reason, last time I looked, CDC had not updated the natural immune numbers of American citizens or American residents in three months. Why? Certainly many millions more now have been exposed since the Delta variant has run wild. So we're getting to a point where with or without vaccination, a good portion of the public has what they call natural immunity. And of course, those people are rightly suspicious when the government doesn't acknowledge that and is forcing at this time of all times when the vaccines aren't working very well and when more people have natural immunity are forcing a program to try to make private companies and contractors and federal agencies force people to get vaccinated with this vaccine, whether they have immunity or not, in order to feed their families, earn a living, participate in society, get an education. But I want to add something because I do think the natural immunity discussion is making headway and some people are understanding and accepting that this can be as good as and probably better than proof of vaccination if you're looking at operating in what's considered a safe environment. But there's something else to know. And if you've been watching Full Measure, you already know this if you've watched since the start of the pandemic. As Dr. John Dye told me, he's the lead virologist at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases for the government. And I like thinking back at the things he's told me and relying on them because in hindsight, his information has proven to be correct. And I consulted a lot of scientists and read a lot of material on the front end of this pandemic without knowing what to think. And now as time has gone on, I can look back and see which experts were correct and which ones were not. And that's how I start to develop a set of sources that I think are reliable on, on other topics or future topics that are related. So Dr. John Dye is somebody who alerted me to something really important that a lot of people still don't know about because I hear reporters and even medical experts on TV not acknowledging this. Even if we get to the point where natural immunity is accepted and fully acknowledged, according to Dr. Dye, antibody tests are not the only way to find out if someone has immunity. Dr. Dye told me that antibodies don't necessarily last that long and people who've been exposed, they may not appear at the time of the test and yet the people may still have their protection. There are other ways, he says, that people are protected naturally that they don't even have to develop antibodies if their immune system functions properly a certain way 
And for example, if they don't have symptoms, as many people do not have symptoms, they may not develop antibodies after they've fought off an infection. So nothing to measure, and yet they're immune. And the third factor I'd like to mention, you could be naturally immune to it and not know it and not have been exposed yet. So there's a valid question in my mind anyway, a logical question, as to whether the government can force you to get a vaccine if you simply can't prove you've had COVID when you may in fact have whatever it takes in your body to not get a serious case or not have any symptoms at all. So these are some of the perils of mandates on something medical by people I think that have no right to mandate your medical circumstances and everybody has their own individual biology and genetics and circumstances in play. All of this is to say, keep talking about it because it is having an impact. And unfortunately, by the government so clearly refusing to talk about and address something that so many people know about, not just scientists, but ordinary people, we're talking about natural immunity, that raises natural suspicion. Why? Why are they saying simply the only course of action to take is vaccination, a vaccine that isn't working very well and is wearing off? Why would they be doing that? And by these decisions and policies that they've been making, they undermine public trust and confidence in the entire public health system. One CDC-funded study that is on the list of studies at CherylAxon.com in the Natural Immunity article found some months ago that the United States had already reached the level that scientists had said would be needed for what they call herd immunity, above 80% between people who'd been vaccinated and those who had natural immunity. This assessment was made by studying geographically blood samples of various populations. It may take longer or may need a higher proportion than the 80%, partly because the vaccines aren't proving to be as effective as we keep saying. So many people with vaccination are getting COVID. And a lot of the, I think, dishonest comparisons will tell you that, well, there are a lot more unvaccinated people who are hospitalized than vaccinated people. And that is sometimes true. Sometimes, by the way, it's not. There have been cases, and I've written about those too, where there are more vaccinated people in hospitalized population than unvaccinated. But even when it is true, they're not being intellectually honest, I think, or scientific to not break out the unvaccinated who've already had COVID. Because if you compare that slice to the vaccinated, the unvaccinated who've had COVID far and away outdo the people who've been vaccinated in terms of good outcomes and not being hospitalized. There's no comparison, but they seem to never make that comparison, at least publicly when health officials talk about all of this. And yet, isn't that one of the most important and obvious comparisons you would want to make unless you were trying to obscure or hide the fact that natural immunity is so powerful and working better than the vaccine so far? I have several, I think, pretty important COVID resources If you go to CherylAckeson.com and they're not pasted on the homepage, you can always look at one of the main topics on the homepage. It says U.S. World Business Health Special Investigations. Look under health and you will see a drop-down bar that has COVID-19 natural immunity. That article, by far the most popular article I've ever written at CherylAckeson.com in terms of hits and interest. I've also got COVID-19 vaccine concerns summary where I'm updating constantly as health bodies and studies around the world flag and discuss health concerns regarding to the vaccines. And then I did an analysis of COVID-19 vaccine 
common adverse events based on the Federal Adverse Event Database. I'll be updating that, doing a big one soon. And then my original investigation, which is now months old and holds up very well as other people join the party, the original investigation on COVID-19 origins, fully documented and footnoted with study citations and other material as to exactly what we know and what the facts are. Ironically, all of these articles fully footnoted or cited with scientific peer-reviewed published references are all flagged by Google Ads as either dangerous and harmful or with some other caveat that tries to reduce their circulation. And yet these are irrefutably fact-based. They're not conjecture or opinion. They are just scientific resources. What does that tell you that the pharmaceutical industry influences that are trying to be the so-called fact checkers and the censors online, that they are so obviously beholden to industry to the exclusion of even putting out basic facts. I'll tell you, and I'm going to try to write a separate article on this, but even when I have simply written articles citing CDC and nothing more, or citing a story that was published by BBC verbatim, but on a topic that certainly the vaccine industry doesn't like because it's about, in the case of the BBC article, a BBC presenter who died after COVID vaccination. Well, there was nothing disputable about the article. It was exactly what BBC had published, and yet Google Ads has flagged that too, as if it is dangerous disinformation. Very telling. Now, two more COVID-related notes. I hope if you missed it, you will look back at my border investigation from two weeks ago on the debut program of season seven of Full Measure that's available now at fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news, our website. You can see that anytime after the show airs on TV, we post it. But the border investigation showed firsthand when I was there how illegal border crossers are not being checked for COVID or tested for COVID with few exceptions. Now, if somebody comes across as occasionally happens and says, I know I have COVID and tells this to border agents, or if somebody is very sick, and obviously sick, they're going to get medical help. But everybody else, they get dumped and released into local communities without COVID testing, as you saw in my piece, leaving the local communities and nonprofits to work together to try to scramble to get all of these people in one place, to get them to agree to a COVID test. They don't have to. And then when they test positive, to get them to agree to isolate until they test negative, which they don't have to. And even when they do, by the way, All the others, the thousands and thousands who have been around and exposed to the people who had COVID, they're sent on their merry way if they've tested negative for the moment. And as you know, there's an incubation period. They could turn up with COVID after they've been shipped off on airplanes or in cars and trains and buses to other parts of the U.S. in a couple of days because they've been in close quarters and hanging around with lots of people who did test positive for COVID. At one point shortly before my visit, It was reported that one in five illegal border crossers, after being released by Border Patrol and being tested by these nonprofits and local communities, one in five were testing positive for COVID. This is huge. This is much greater than the population in normal communities of America right now. So what happens? What's the impact when all of these people fan out to locations across the country as they do? Well, to pretend there isn't an impact or to not be concerned about it seems to be turning a blind eye. And it seems so inconsistent that we have such strict rules in some parts of America and that Americans coming back from traveling abroad or other visitors coming into the country legally 
would be required to show proof of vaccination or proof of prior infection, and yet we don't make the people coming in illegally do anything like that. It's just accepted. I don't know if you heard the news conference this week when the White House spokesman Jim Psaki was asked about this, and she gave a really strange answer. She said something like, well, these illegal border crossers aren't going to be staying for very long, which implies that somehow COVID understands if someone's not going to stay very long and doesn't infect anybody during that time period. It would also imply that if other people come into the U.S. aren't going to, quote, stay very long, then they don't have to get tested or show that they've been vaccinated either. Of course, none of this makes any sense. Something else that didn't make sense, I was in New York City a couple of days ago, and I thought New York City, like other big cities I've been to, would be very strict about COVID. You've heard me say, and maybe a lot of you live in what I call more middle America, a lot of those places are living life normally. They went back to school in fall of 2020 with no masks, had no big issues. They aren't masking now. They're not doing all of these things you see in some of the places where there are hot spots or some of the big cities. So I thought New York would be really, really strict. And in fact, as I walked around in New York City, hadn't been there in a few months, there are signs on all the buildings that say, I think it's the law that if you're age 12 or over, you may not enter a building without showing your proof of vaccination. And then I went into a gazillion buildings. Nobody checked me or anybody that I saw. So it made me feel as though a lot of people are just going along. It's not to say they don't believe COVID is real. I think everybody knows COVID is real, that some people have gotten very sick and died from it. So that's not the question. But as to whether it is an immediate and present crisis to most people that requires masking, which is effective and requires vaccination, it just doesn't seem like people are buying it. But maybe they've been worn down by what you see on TV and what federal and public health officials are saying on TV, which isn't reflective of what's going on around the country. But it's almost like they're going along for appearances because why wouldn't they be checking with those signs on the door? They're not really checking your vaccine passport or your vaccine cards. And then I went inside a lot of buildings and saw that I thought masks were required indoors there, but people not wearing masks. People who work in the building, security guards, visitors, yes, some are, but a lot of people aren't. So that kind of surprised me about New York. That's more of an attitude I've seen outside of cities where they haven't had as much of a bad COVID pandemic or epidemic. And my final note before we get to this week's program has to do with last week's podcast and investigation on full measure about miscounting COVID cases. I think this was really eye-opening because like a lot of investigations, I didn't know what I would find. I set out to figure out whether the rumors that COVID deaths had been exaggerated or were being miscounted, whether those were true or not. And as always, I would have been perfectly happy whichever way the story would have gone. It didn't have to turn out, in my view, one way or the other. It would have been interesting either way. But what I found, if you saw in the story, was that there are some very strong signs that COVID in many places around the country, COVID deaths have been improperly counted and the number inflated. I hope you will look back at that investigation if you missed it and listen to the podcast too. Again, the investigation is posted at fullmeasure.news. This week on Full Measure, something a little bit different, although slightly COVID-related as you'll see, we are off to Puerto Rico where they may help us end our drug dependence on places like China and India. 
The COVID pandemic showed us it was not a good idea to be relying on our adversaries for crucial medicine as we do. That story right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This week's cover story on Sunday, September 26th, takes a look at what I'm calling Puerto Rico's comeback. At least the comeback they seem to be in the process of after so many problems. They've been bankrupt for four years. Uh, They've been owing creditors billions of dollars. They've been trying to come up with a plan under the oversight of a financial board to eliminate the debt and come out from bankruptcy. They also, as you know, have battled hurricanes, natural disasters. They had the Zika scare, which turned out to be overblown, but it still killed tourism because people thought it was real at the time. So what are they doing to try to have a comeback? Why do I say it seems like they're sort of in the middle of one? Well, I didn't know this till I started looking into it a little bit more. But as I mentioned earlier, Puerto Rico has long been a top pharmaceutical medicine manufacturer for the United States. It was nicknamed America's Medicine Cabinet. In large part, this is because there were tax breaks that were put into place by Congress that made it more profitable for pharmaceutical companies to do business in the territory of Puerto Rico. That was to try to help them help them out, help them have a thriving economy. And some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world located there And some of them still make some of the world's top-selling drugs there. I guess you could say the heyday, really, when they were at the top, was more like in the 1990s and part of their early 2000s. That's when Puerto Rico really had a giant footprint for pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and even related manufacturing sectors that had a tax benefit to doing business in Puerto Rico. But something happened that changed all of that. And some people think this change is part of what sent Puerto Rico spiraling down financially. By 2005, Congress eliminated those corporate tax breaks for Puerto Rico. Why did they do that? Well, there was a lot of debate. There are some people who said that the tax breaks disproportionately helped rich corporations. They were saying that, yes, there are a lot of companies locating in the territory and a lot of people getting rich and making money, but not sort of the middle and lower class Puerto Ricans benefiting. I'm not sure how true that was, and I didn't dig into this too deeply, but I do know the pharmaceutical industry does employ and did employ at that time many, many Puerto Ricans, and they are considered really good in the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, the talent level, the skill level that the pharmaceutical industry needs, they say there aren't that many places they can find it that's up to that level that they can find in Puerto Rico. So it definitely provided jobs. It provided some money, but again, There was thought that it was helping the big corporations more than it was helping just the average citizens. So in 2005, Congress eliminated the corporate tax breaks. And as you might expect, some pharmaceutical companies cut back on their footprint, some offices closed, and it made a big difference. So meantime, India and China became more dominant in making medicine. As you know, today, India and China 
make most of the world's medicine, we get, we in the United States, most of our medicine from China, an adversary. So Puerto Rico was the spot for pharmaceuticals, primarily at the time centered on capsules and tablets. And that technology got simpler and easier to make, according to insiders, and the system simply moved from Puerto Rico when it was less lucrative for the companies to China and to India. So what's happening today? Congress did not reinstate that benefit. There was talk about whether to do so, but something else happened. Puerto Rico itself, as a territory, made a whole bunch of decisions and policies that were designed to draw and reach out to primarily biomedicine companies, but any kind of pharmaceutical company or device manufacturer, really. And when I visited to talk about this with people who are involved, this was the first I'd heard the term biosimilars. They're talking about manufacturing a lot of biosimilars. That's basically generic medicine for biological products. These are products in some cases that you may know by name that sell for $6,000 for various doses. Well, they're going to be able to make the biosimilars in Puerto Rico instead of $6,000 for $500. They're going to sell products that are normally sold for $3,000. Well, the generic version can be sold for $300. This is going to be a really big deal. Taking advantage of this effort or this opportunity are a couple of businessmen I interviewed when I was there. They walked me through their 90,000-square-foot warehouse in the town of Aguadilla, the beautiful town of Aguadilla in the northwest section of Puerto Rico. They are converting this manufacturing facility into a $200 million high-tech bio lab. And normally the construction they're doing, they said, would take maybe three to four years, but they're doing it in 90 days. It's truly incredible. And the businessmen I interviewed are partners, Robert Salcido and Daniel Chang, and they're responsible for bringing two biotech companies recently to Puerto Rico. The two companies, they say, have a combined investment they're making of $228 million. Think of how big that is for a fairly small place like Puerto Rico and as much trouble as they've been having especially. They're also going to bring in 400 jobs. Robert Salcido and Daniel Chang, they met at a biotech company in California 25 years ago before starting their own company. They think Puerto Rico is and will continue to become in an even bigger way the equivalent for the pharmaceutical industry to what Silicon Valley in California is to the tech industry. And one of the reasons they picked Puerto Rico, as I mentioned a minute ago, they said is because of the talent Puerto Rico has. I heard this several times from business people. They think that the Puerto Rican population has a lot of people, family members, sometimes several generations who can and work in the specialty fields of the pharmaceutical industry and are really good at it, know what they're doing. So they can make product, they think, in Puerto Rico as cheaply as is being made in China and India, but with a big difference, with U.S. quality, which is a very big deal because people trust the medicine made in the United States a lot more than they trust what's made in some of these foreign countries. So what are some of the incentives that Puerto Rico is offering in hopes of having companies locate there? Well, for example... They're giving incentives for companies to hire and train employees. They get credit for that. They give grants to do things like renovate the facility that I saw, the 90,000-square-foot warehouse. By the way, I asked what that warehouse used to be, and it used to make masks prior to the COVID pandemic. 
And it shut down a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they told me, before the COVID pandemic. If that place had hung on a little bit longer, they probably would have been able to stay open and make a ton of money. But anyway, I guess a case of bad timing. But they can get grants to hire and train employees and credits and so on. And they get research and development tax credits, which are able to be sold on the market. And that's a complicated process that I've asked many times about and tried to understand. But it's something that's profitable to the company, makes locating there very attractive. Robert Salcido told me that for about every dollar they invest in Puerto Rico, they get back between 45 and 65 cents. That's a huge amount, particularly if you're a startup. So for every dollar that you're putting in, he told me that you can make it grow to almost $2, which is very important in terms of investments. And they could not build that lab in 90 days without a pretty radical change in mindset in Puerto Rico, because this is a place, as I've realized on my several trips there, that's legendary for its bureaucracy and red tape. To deviate for a moment, it's just sort of, I'm told, the way they do business, some of the practices from before it was a U.S. territory have been holdover uh, in terms of if you want to get something done, like get a license for something or get your traffic ticket paid quickly. It seems like there's a mentality in many instances that you have to pay a little something extra to get your case moved forward. We call those bribes, but there's a lot of that going on, a lot of red tape and bureaucracy, people trying to then get around the system or facilitate their cases by paying something extra. Anyway, the mindset that had to change was, okay, you want to have companies come here, but they don't want to take three, four, five years to get approval to convert a warehouse to a high-tech lab. So how could they do that in 90 days instead of three or four years? Well, I spoke to the mayor of Aguadilla. He's very instrumental in this project. His name is Julio Roldan. And he told me that he's made it his mission to make sure to shorten the processes of getting clearances. Normally, he says, the clearance in the case of the warehouse I looked at might have taken about a year, and he shortened it to a day. All of this could make a really big difference, not just to the people of Puerto Rico, but really to all of us in America, because as we saw during COVID, there's an added incentive and more a sense of urgency to expand Puerto Rico's medical portfolio, because as I mentioned, about 80% of active pharmaceutical ingredients are made in China. And the COVID pandemic highlighted our dependency on China, which most people think is not very wise, even though we knew, and I've reported on that for full measure in the past, that that was not a great thing. So COVID seemed to kind of change everything because a lot of people began to realize that we cannot depend on foreign countries as a source for our basic important medicines, including medical devices. So I hope on Sunday you will check out my cover story, my report on all of this. And you can't miss because there's also some beautiful scenes of Puerto Rico. It's just a gorgeous place. And it really has come a long way since my visits right before and right after the double hurricanes a few years ago. It looks worlds better. And the beaches tend to heal pretty fast. There are some of the nicest beaches there anywhere in the world. But check it out on Sunday. You can go to CherylAckison.com. Click the full measure tab at CherylAckison.com and you can find the TV station near you and the time. Or if there isn't a TV station near you or that's too complicated, you can always go to fullmeasure.news anytime online and watch last week's program or other programs from previous weeks. 
And then you can watch the current week's program at fullmeasure.news. Every Sunday after it airs on TV, we post it there about noon Eastern time. You can catch last week's program, in fact, right now, after you listen to this podcast, the one about miscounting COVID turned out to be a very popular and well-received report. We also have an app called Stir, S-T-I-R-R. You can download for free and watch Full Measure On Demand or live on Sundays. And there's a lot of other cool free programming on Stir. There are movies and entertainment and even local news. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, wherever you like to listen. Leave a great review. Share these podcasts with your friends if you thought you heard something valuable. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.